and gentlemen, welcome to Oil Presentations Podcast, episode 67. Everybody get your pro lawn. George Orwell's 1984, part one of three. We are going to be covering Orwell again. Uh, it's about a year anniversary from the last time we did Animal uh, Orwell, which was Animal Farm, last February. And uh, Super Bowl's coming up. And there was a famous 1984 Apple commercial where somebody throws a sledgehammer at a TV. I don't know, it felt like it fit. And I didn't know if I, I honestly, what a weird thing, I don't know if I ever read this. I remember I got assigned it in high school. And I don't, I honestly cannot remember if, if I read it or not. I, it, I definitely didn't take pride in reading it if I read it. But I, I think mostly I just lied and went and went to class. But I remembered the story pretty well. Like the broad strokes of it, I got the, the beginning and the, and the setting and the end in my head. But one of the, I broke it up into three because when I was getting into it, like this is, I don't, I don't want to have to speed through it. I don't want to have to, there's too much. There's too much to do in one, one huge one. And too much for me to remember in one huge one. Unless I wanted to breeze through it and then it would just sound, it'd be like Winston goes here and then he goes over here and then this happens over here, which is kind of what it's going to, I mean, look, it's this, we're doing, this is one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. So there's no way I'm going to like do justice to it in any no matter what I decide to go with here. But I wanted to do three parts because I get back into it. I, I, I forgot how much I liked it. So we're doing uh, part one. It's mostly atmosphere. We're going to meet our main character here. Um, and then we'll do part two, part three, and they'll all be public. Um, and I'll try to knock them out one uh, day tomorrow and the next day and just do three publics in a week, which is fine. It's, it's fine. It's a, it's a podcast. Do what you want. Um, and then if you're on Patreon, there is going to be a Patreon episode this week. I think it's going to be, so, it's totally different from 1984. It's like a craft brain, uh, episode that I'm pretty psyched on. So I'll just, I'll just, and that'll be Patreon separate. So there'll be three publics doing 1984 and then we'll have a Patreon something before the end of the week. And that's what we'll be doing. Hopefully by the weekend, we all know the story of 1984 a little bit better. All right. And so, and because we're doing three, I'm going to. I'm going to shush it up front. We'll get right into the story here. Oh, the one thing is I am doing stand-up tonight at, uh, at Healing Philadelphia, which is you know, I'm really excited about. Uh, it's a great lineup. It, by the time this comes out, it would have happened last night, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh, quite a bit, so that'll be awesome. All right, uh, 1984, part one. Let's get into it. All right, we meet our main character. Let's talk about what he looks like first. His name's Winston. He is 39, and he's, he's tall. He's a tall guy, but he looks bad. He is a tall, tall looks bad. You see one of those, but not nice, not harmful. You know these kind of guys. I, If I have bad posture for too long, I can become like over six feet, late 30s, bags under his eyes. Not a bad guy. It looks like he needs a vacation. Honestly, you don't know if he has the money for it or not, but or if you really take the time to care about himself like that. But he could definitely, if you could give somebody a vacation, if you could submit somebody for a free one, you might put Winston in there. But he's, you know, he's he's holding it together. He doesn't look so bad that it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get him. But it's like, man, I don't know. I hope he, he, I, I can tell you, he's somebody needs to turn around here and I'm looking at him. That That's Winston. But he's not a bad guy. He's our guy. That's who we follow through this whole story, all right? Now, he lives in an apartment and it sucks. <laughs> it's called Victory Mansions. And that sounds okay, right? No, the government, which I'm going to... I'm going to go through, we're covering the story of this because everybody else does the symbolism and I'm, there's no way I could ever cover the symbolism anyway. I just want to do the story of it. But Victory Mansions is owned by the government. It's a company and they make, it's not just a real estate company. They also make the cigarettes and the booze 
and there's a ton of booze. This where Winston lives at is country, uh, which we'll get into the map when we cover it in the story. Everybody's on like two to four drinks the whole time by design, uh, but it's all shitty booze made by this company. And the booze is bad, the cigs are bad, and Winston's apartment is horrendous, dude. So he looks, Winston looks bad, and he lives in a terrible place. He's got telescreens in every room of his apartment. Now, what a telescreen is, it's just a flat screen TV, which, by the way, this book was uh, was written in like the 30s and early 40s, and it was published in 49. George Orwell, nailing flat screen TVs, 1949, way to go. Anyway, so in Winston's terrible apartment, he's got telescreens, flat screens on every wall and every, or not every wall, but like every room has one. Now, you can't turn them off. You can't control them. It's always government programming. You can turn the volume down, but somebody else could turn it up if you have it down the whole time. And they can also use a camera in the telescreen to watch you at any point in time they want, which is creepy, but it's also sort of like if you ever had a, like a, a cubicle job where they're like, we want we monitor your internet access. It's like, yeah, it's fine. And you, they don't use it all the time unless you're weird, and then they'll just watch and be like, what is going on there? We're at a job, yeah, we might get called in HR, but here you're going to, you might get disappeared. We'll get into the ministries in a second, but yeah, this is like a totalitarian state. There is not one dude. It's ran by a guy named Big Brother, but there's not one dude. Big Brother is like a thing that's actually like, I don't know, 12, 20, probably not more than 30 secret people at the highest level of government in this country. And Big Brother is what everybody is programmed to love. So, Winston's apartment sucks. He's got telescreens. He can't turn off. I don't know where he'd take a nap. And he can get washed at any point in time if you're being a weirdo. He's also banging down this terrible gin every now and then. He's like everybody else that lives in this place. Everybody's like sort of hammered all the time. It, it makes it so you don't notice that things suck. So, and we already covered uh, Victory Brand Anything is like Dr. Bob. Where like, if you have, doc, like, you've seen Dr. Bob at Aldi? Dr. Pepper is like the real, like the soda. And then I don't know who even devised Dr. Bob, but they were like, <laughs> it can be more than one doctor in the soda industry. Victory is Dr. Bob. So everything is like, look, you're not going to complain about it, but it, you know, it's nice that you had soda at all, but it's like, let's not act like Dr. Bob is Dr. Pepper. Anyway, so, all right. Now in Winston's apartment, one of the weird things he has is that he does have a blank journal, which is a strange thing to have because in this society, no, you, you don't have thoughts. What are, you, what are you writing down, dude? What are you doodling? You don't need a journal, and you might be able to get in trouble for having a journal. If the government finds out, or for some reason they see you, or somebody discovers it, you write something in there that's not cool, and somebody gives it somebody, you get disappeared. But he does have a journal, which tells us that, like, hey, maybe this guy's thinking a little bit. He looks terrible. Maybe his brain's better than his body looks. Also, Winston's ankle itches badly. He, this guy is a mess, man. He has an itchy ankle. It gets it gets worse. It's it's sort of symbolic as it, as it goes on. It's sort of like a, a naughty ankle. Like whenever his ankle starts hurting, he's getting a pang of like I gotta do something bad, dude. I gotta this place sucks. I gotta I gotta go do something strange. That's the the symbolism of his itchy ankle in the book. Uh, real quick, all right. There's also these things called uh, two minutes of hate. So when Winston goes to his job and Winston is in the outer party, the way the society is, is divvied up, if you look at a, a huge pyramid, so 85% of the society of the nation of Oceana, so Winston's country is called Oceana. Everybody who lives there, they're, uh, Winston's like comrades, they call each other comrades throughout this whole book. But the 85%, the bottom of the pyramid, are called proles. These, this is what I would be. If, I was, if this was real, I am proling it up, dude. And proles, 
they don't really, I mean, they're there, you know, the government sees them as animals that need to be controlled. So like they give them a bunch of booze, like, or if they don't give them free booze, it's like a dot, like a penny for all the victory gin you can drink. It's like ladies night for proles all of the time in Oceana in the idea of like, just keep them docile. If they're hammered, they're not going to do anything. And proles have jobs. But it's like the Aladdin cart guy at the beginning of the movie where, like, you're selling, yeah, you know, a lot of cart work going on here. But that's pro. That's pretty much everybody. Winston is not a pro. He is a party member. Uh, and what that means is that he's a member of the outer party. This is the highest. These are the two higher tiers of the pyramid. You got outer party, which is where our, our gargoyle-looking main character Winston hangs out. That's about 13% of the population. They are government workers. And they're supposed to love their jobs. Winston's on the fence about it, as we'll go on to learn. Uh, but they're supposed to really be into it. And then above that, you got about 2% of the population of Oceana, which is the inner party. These are the people who really run shit. And then above that, uh, the idea of Big Brother. But it's not just one person again. It's just, it's like 12 or 20 people giving all their ideas. And they, they call that Big Brother. But that's who runs everything. So Winston has a government job. Now, at this government job, and every government job, though, he works at the Ministry of uh, Truth. Which, the Ministry of Truth is like a giant, uh, like Amazon ran by the government, but all they do is rewrite history into making it whatever the inner party or Big Brother wants history to be. So Winston works at the Ministry. It's a job, you know? He doesn't love it, but he, do he does it, you know? So he's rewriting newspapers. Uh, again, no cell phones or anything. It's, uh, there's still newspapers in this dystopian future. Uh, but that's where Winston works at. So at every job, if you're a, if you're a government worker... At some point in time during the day, there's a thing called the two minutes of hate. Now, what this is, is everybody goes into like a conference room. It's a meeting you have every day. So everybody goes into like a big conference room and then they start playing like, uh, like, like an IMAX movie of how great Oceana is. And everybody in the conference room that are all your coworkers, you're all watching this IMAX movie of like my country rules and everybody in the, in the room gets like rowdy and they're starting to be like, yeah, let's go Oceana. Let's fucking go. Right. But they call it the two minutes of hate because, but the arc of it is that like you start by big up in Oceana and then at the end of it, they bring up like, because there's only three major world powers on this dystopian future globe. There's Oceana, which is Winston's uh, te territory, which is North America, South America, and like London, England, uh, Ireland, and Ireland. Oh, but it, England's not called England anymore. It's called Airstrip One. Minor detail. The, the geography really doesn't matter, but I think it's a cool part of the book. Anyway, so there's only three parts or three huge superpowers. You got Oceana, which is Winston's crew. You got Eurasia, which if you look at a map of this is like if uh, Nazi Germany won World War II. So it's all of Europe and uh, the top part of Russia all the way over to Kamchunka, if you play Risk. And then underneath that, you have the third major world power, which is called East Asia. So this is important because in the two minutes of hate where Winston's got to be in this conference room with all of his co-workers... And everybody's like, let's go, Oceana. In the middle of that, they change the arc of the programming to be like, yo, Eurasia sucks though, right? And so it's everybody you work with. And the, the two minutes, it starts out and people are like, kind of quiet. And then you're like, Oceana, let's go. And then halfway through, the screen changes and everybody starts ripping on the other countries. And they get wild at the end. That's the, that's the two minutes I hate. At the end, you're just like... Fucking Eurasia's a bunch of bitches! Dude, people are screaming. At the, at, this is, it happens every day at your job. So as this is going on, different people take it different levels of serious, and they're all government employees, and people are watching this happen. So some people are really like, 
fuck your Asia! Like, they brought signs and shit, like it's a WWE, because your bosses are watching, and you're supposed to really love your job, and you're a member of the outer party, you know? So you're supposed to really love your job, so how, how you know, let me hear it. Let me hear it from the back. Go ahead, let's get a chant going. Somebody gets the wave going. Two minutes of hate's important to get judged at your job and to make sure that everybody loves the party. Winston, not super into it. I bet his back hurt. He's probably coughing a lot. He has a cough the whole time. Not super into it, but he does this thing that look around the room and if you've ever like been in class or any sort of setting like that where somebody else makes a joke of like a similar like sense of humor of you or like somebody makes a comment and it pings at like, ooh, like I, like I get it. Like I don't know, the close like, like I remember being in school or like um, being in college and somebody would like make a joke or like somebody on the other side of the room would like fart hard at an inappropriate time and I would know it and be like, oh, all right. We got a live one over there. I don't know if that guy could be like a friend friend, but like because you have a moment where something you guys both enjoy or like it's like very similar, there's like an eye contact of like, yo, nice, dude. Winston has that at this two minutes of hate with a dude named O'Brien. It's just a fellow employee. He has that like, yo, you fart hard. How about that? That's a good laugh. But he has to be on the sly about it because if you get caught making eye contact and not being into the two minutes of hate, you might get disappeared. But that's an important part of the book where Winston, this is the first time Winston sees it like, wait, does anybody, does somebody else know that this sucks? Because nobody's telling me, I'm pretty much just have my own thoughts and I think this sucks. I don't know if, is everybody else into this or not? Because everybody else is into it. Because you have to be or else you get murdered. So that's the two minutes of hate. Also, just real quick in chapter one, they had a, uh, you go into thought crime, which we're going to get into the thought police, where it's sort of like the Gestapo, where they, they can just turn you in for anything. They'll, I'm, facial expressions. It's like the setting at Magnetogorsk where you can't trust, you can't trust. Maybe that's why I like this book so much because it does, it does just suck hard the whole time. Like this never, it's kind of a downer. Like by the end of part three, it'd be like, I do know that story. Man, that ended bad though, huh? I didn't, that really didn't turn around. Anyway, so thought crime you can get arrested for. And if you get arrested, you don't know how long you're going to get arrested for. You get arrested and you get brought to the Ministry of Love, which uh, I mean, like Winston works at the Ministry of Truth. Ministry of Love is another giant branch of the government and they call it love but what it really is is reprogramming so if you got caught doing any sort of something where the thought police was like yo get in here they arrest you at the ministry of love because they say that we love you so much you're obviously there's just something wrong with you real quick we're just going to fix that up we love you now what really happens there is that they torture people to death and disappear people and all sorts of stuff depending on what kind of crime you have but that's the ministry of love and that's uh intro to thought crime and there's is a concept called double think I've seen this referenced with people make, trying to make points on stuff. Um, double think is where, as I understand it, it's where Big Brother wants to keep the parole population's consciousness at. Okay. Picture a yin-yang. You got half white, half black. Okay. Big Brother just wants everybody's brain to be a yin-yang, where you're just, you're a spiritual yin-yang, dude, and both parts are there, and you're just kind of hammered the whole time, you're like, I don't know, whatever. If they can, that's what double think is. If they can get you thinking the spiritual yin-yang the whole time, there's two ideas that are juxtaposed against you, they can't be the same thing at the same time, but that's what double think is. The government's trying to get you there with uh, victory, with Dr. Bob Jinn, and just telling you all sorts of nonsense in the newspapers. All right. 
I already covered this, but like they call each other comrade all the time in this book, I think. Uh, or I think I already covered it, but that's a, that's a thing that also happens in Animal Farm that I thought was cool. So we're going to meet Winston's neighbors. Are they better than his apartment? No, they're actually kind of weird and pretty scary. All right, this is the Parsons family. It is a Mr. and Mrs., and they got some kids. Now the Mr., this dude, do you know one of these dudes? Where he's like, I'm doing the best I can. I'm making the best of it. Like, won't, won't, he's just like, you know what? I'm doing great. I love, you know, I got a job. I love my job. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm doing it. Having a good time here. Making the best I could do, you know? Like, just won't, just plowing through. He's like, I'm a party member. I love it to death. That's Mr. Parsons. Mrs. Parsons is kind of like, I think I fucked up marrying this guy, but like, what am I going to do? I got kids and stuff now. Also, I'm not really, I'm kind of scared of my kids. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, but. Those little things are demons. I am terrified of my kids. Mrs. Parsons is scared of her kids, and for good reason, because the Parsons kids are nut bars. They are. They are in like the youth organization of the party. They're uh, like whatever, like eight to twelve year olds, eight to fifteen year olds, where like they train you, they teach you how to like, I don't know, do gymnastics and stuff. But they also are sliding in, like, hey, real quick, if you ever hear your mom or dad say anything weird, just go ahead and pass that on to us. So the Parsons kids are in this, like, or what's it actually called? It's called the Junior Spy League, right? And that's what they're training them to do. Like, they'll train them, like, hey, feel this grappling hook. This is cool. Also, narc on your mom and dad. And so because of this, Mrs. Parsons is terrified. But the dad is just like, I am so proud of my kids. I hope they narc on me. You know why? Because I love it here. I just love it so much. <laughs> my wife's like, this is, I got it. I don't know. I got nowhere to fucking go, dude. So Winston, we meet these people. And Winston, like, sees all this. And... At the end of the chapter, Winston uh, says a thing where, like, he's already dead. Like, he says a couple of things out loud where he sounds like a hot topic manager from, like, 2002. But at the end, after they meet the Parsons, Winston's like, I'm already dead. I'm dead. There's no... And it's, it's that kind of already dead where it's like, I know my brain's going to fuck me up. I know I'm getting in trouble. I can't be living here anymore. My apartment sucks. These kids are wild. These kids are all the animal Muppet. And they're, they're crazy as shit. This mom's terrified. This guy won't stop saying how much he loves hot dogs or something. At the end of the chapter, Winston's like, I'm already dead, dude. I'm fucking, I'm going to get in trouble. I know it. My ankle itches. I need a vacation. He's, it, it's foreshadowing that Winston knows his future. They're like, that ain't going to work out. All right, chapter three. We talk about Winston's parents real quick. So there was a revolution that gave us this big brother government. It was like 30 years prior to the book. So Winston's 39. So the revolution took place like 30 years ago. Winston was like single digits when the revolution happened. So he can't really remember. He's got a memory of a nine-year-old from when, from prior to the revolution. So this is kind of all he's ever known. It's just like big brother system of government. And he doesn't really know where his parents are at. I don't know. They disappeared after the revolution. He has, has a dream about like his sister and his mom on a boat. But the dream he has in this chapter, that is a big deal. We're getting some TV going on here. Get some total baby energy. So Winston has a dream. He's in his apartment. It sucks. He fell asleep. The TV is still on. He can't turn it off, right? But he's asleep. Okay, right? So he has a dream that he describes as like the golden country. So it's like a beautiful meadow. There's like a tree. It looks cool. It is great. <laughs> like... Also, he would never describe, I was, I was like thinking of how I would say this. And it's like, oh, this is a dream you don't tell your guy friends. Like you leave the part out about like the setting where it's like, that was a beautiful meadow, man. There were some trees. There's a couple rocks out there. I thought I saw a turtle and he was smiling like you, like Pixar made him. Anyway, so this is the golden country. So this is, but it's a really nice dream. Winston's having a great time because he lives in a terrible Magneto Gorski looking city. And he's like, oh my God, I'm in the golden country. I'm having a good time. Dream gets even better because in the golden country, 
So he has, there's this girl at work that like, he doesn't talk to her or anything, you know, but he's seen her. Right. And so, uh, she's describing the books like an attractive, you know, but they all wear like overalls at work. So he only sees her in like Cintas work pants, but he's still like, hello, you know, just a little bit. So this girl in real life, Winston like kind of sees her, but he doesn't know her. It's like a work, work crush, maybe. I don't know, right? So he's dreaming of her. She's in the golden country. So in real life, she works for the anti-sex league, right? Where it's like, they wear this red sash and the whole thing is that like, I don't know. Because the idea of like marriage in this society is just for kids. Like we go on to find out that Winston technically has a wife, but they got married like 10 years ago and they never had kids. So like they just kind of split up because that's, that's all that... Like human reproduction is really, you don't really want the proles to be falling in love because then there's something more powerful in the government. So marriage, kids, love, all this stuff, that's just, that's for making more party members. That's what we're doing here. But not in the golden country, right? So Winston's having this dream, flow meadows, work crush, hello, sweet babe, how are you, right? Doesn't talk to her, just sees her. Now she's in work gear, she got that red sash on, right? Now this dream does go NC-17. She starts taking those work, the Sintas pants off, right? Right, but here's that's not the thing that really that will that Winston really remembers from this dream, right? She does get naked and all that, but when she when she takes off her like anti-sex league red sash and she throws it on top of a bush, that's the part of the dream that Winston's like, yo, Whew. like that is what Winston is thinking about when he's like, God, I remember that dream. Like, yeah, she was naked, but like, yo, do you see how she threw that sash aside? She that she that 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 throw had some intentions to it. Ooh. Right. That's and then Winston wakes up and he's like, "What? Oh, I'm back in this shithole apartment." Okay, well that was cool for a second. All right. So, Winston wakes up from that dream, which is like a work crush, golden country. Oh my God! You see her through that sash, right? So he springs up out of bed, right? And so he's supposed to work out in this society. The TVs turn on; they make you work out. It's called the morning jerks. Every morning in your shitty apartment, you're supposed to get up and do calisthenics with Kathy Smith. Be like, Ugh. Winston fucking hates it. And if you suck at it, sometimes they'll like yell at you. And in the book, Winston has been yelled at before because his morning jerk workouts suck. And like, because they're watching you they, in the telescreen, they could see you the whole time. So one day, when they were like, ah, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Let's go. Let's, you lead it, right? Which I have, oh, I got yelled at in a yoga class once. Not yelled at, but like, it was like a nice, it was like a hot yoga class that like I was buy, trying to buy for myself to like, I couldn't have afforded it. It was just like a, a week, like a maybe a month. I think it was a month membership of like the highest level Bikram heated yoga you could have. So I wanted to try to like be nice to myself like three years ago. Yo, so I go in there. I stink. I stink at it. But I'm also like not talking to people. But anyway, so I remember one of the first classes. I was so bad at yoga that the, and the, te the instructor comes up and, yo, this is not a cheap yoga studio. This instructor comes up to me and she asks like loud, like, are you injured? Right? What the fuck? Like, I didn't say anything. I just I was like, no, no, I just, I just, I don't stretch a whole lot. Like, I don't know what the fuck to say to that. Are you injured? Do you know how many attractive people? Like, dude, it was that, that class was like all, all women in yoga gear and me. And it was, are you injured? No, I'm not injured, dude. I'm, I'm going to injure myself trying to do this better now that you said that that loud around all these people. I don't know. Anyway, so what, that happened to Winston one day, too, in his shitty apartment. He got yelled at. But he, he has this sweet babe dream. Sweet work, babe. Hello. Wakes up. Springs up. He starts grinding it out. Dude. He's doing prison workout. He had a sex dream. He is, he's like, yo, I need abs today. I need, can I get steroids? 
it is time to get fucking ripped. This place sucks. I had a sex dream. I, you, you should have seen the way. It was like she flicked her pinky when she threw it. At the end, I'm I can't describe it. I gotta do so many pull-ups. I'm gonna go outside my window. I'm using the ledge. I gotta get ripped, dude. Alright, that's the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4, you, uh, you're introduced to the concept of a memory hole, which is just... This actually sounds pretty good. It's a memory hole is a thing that's in your apartment that you can just throw shit in and it burns it up. Now, you are required to throw a bunch of shit in there so your brain is wiped so you can't think or keep thoughts or have any sort of, like, autonomy as to how you want to live your life. That's the purpose of a memory hole is, that, like, you burn everything. You can't, because human memory is so, like, once you just forget it and then you just believe what anybody tells you. But on its face, the memory hole, the idea of having just, like, an incinerator shoot, that's, I also did think that, like, I would break that thing in, like, 10 days, dude. How, yeah? How's that thing do with boots? Like, I would put that thing to the test. But that's what a memory hole is. It's supposed to be, and everybody has one. You got what you just throw things in it. You're, uh, you're required to. Uh, you also, we follow Winston to work in Chapter 4, where, again, he works at the Ministry of Truth, so he rewrites history. So anybody, now anybody who had to go to the Ministry of Love and get disappeared, maybe, well, they got to get out all those yearbooks and shit, and somebody has to do that work. So Winston doesn't love his job, but he does his job. The two minutes of hate are kind of weird, but he does maybe have a friend now at the office named O'Brien. We don't know, but that guy made that same eye contact of like, yo, dude, this sucks. Or like, aka, yo, hilarious hard fart in the middle of math class. That's Winston's job. He's technically pro-party, but he's not trying to win any medals. We also meet a couple of like a co-worker named Syme here. This dude, he's, like, he's a guy you just eat lunch with. So Winston's at work, eat lunch, Syme's there, and Syme's fine. There's nothing wrong with Syme. You know, but he's just, he's not new and he still loves his job so much and he's not going anywhere. That's the problem with something was like this dude loves his, loves it. So was born to do this with this rewriting newspaper article shit that Winston does all day. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. Syme can't get enough of it. And, and he's not going anywhere. He's not trying to move up. He's not learning it. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to say like, if he was like a new guy who was still learning, then like I'm into that enthusiasm. But if you've been here forever, like. I don't know. It's kind of weird. And that's all he talks about. So we meet that dude. Now that's not great. And then we are introduced to the Newspeak Dictionary. So the government and what Newspeak is, is that the government is chopping words out of, out of the lexicon, just disappearing them. So after like maybe a couple of years, people just stop using them. As people die off who knew those words, you can rewrite language. And if you can rewrite language, you could rewrite human thought. And if you can rewrite the pro thought, you just keep those Aladdin... Aladdin carts out there hammered half the time. You're good to go. You run the whole country. Oh, also at Winston's job, we know we learned, remember the Parsons family, how nice they were when we met them earlier? You know, the guy, the dad seems enthusiastic and the mom seems, you know, nicely terrified the whole time. Those kids are, you know, those kids are kids, you know? Well, we learn at, at we learn in this chapter that uh, the kids lit a lady on fire. <laughs> the kids lit, the kids lit a lady on fire outside. And the dad's like, fucking right they did. Lit that lady on fire. What was she doing? She was graffitiing on poster or big brother. That's what you get. You get your skirt lit on fire by my kids. And the mom's like, yo, my kids are fucking lighting people on fire. Oh, dude. So Winston's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> it's a little much, right? So Winston's like, I'm feeling some kind of way. So he goes home and he writes in the journal. He's like, I heard the, about these kids lighting people on fire. This place sucks. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my body hurts at this point in time. So I've probably done so many sit-ups thinking about that hot sash throw so he goes home he's a little overwhelmed he's like i gotta journal some shit out right so winston picks up a pen starts using that journal that he's not supposed to have and he starts writing about this time where he went and saw a prostitute a couple of years ago yeah he's like yeah maybe this is bugging me i don't know 
I'm thinking about like my sexual history. I'm not sure. So he starts writing about this prostitute encounter, right? So the proles live in like a different section. Winston lives in like a nice area, but the apartment building sucks because he's an outer party member. Prole area, not great. Not great. You ever drive through a part, like any sort of like city or some part of somewhere and you're like, I can't believe people die here. Holy shit. And it just, it's, it's gore staff, dude, right? That's where the proles live. That's where Winston went and got a prostitute a couple years ago, right? So he's writing about it. And he's right about it with the idea of like, I'm going to work out my issues. I think I'm kind of fucked up. And I actually want to maybe go in that direction of like that, you know, that sash lady, see what's going on there. I got to work out my shit. So he's journaling things out, makes him feel worse, you know, because he just goes back into it. And he's thinking back to like, ah, I paid that lady $2 for, and then we went in this like weird basement and then like the lights came on and it was like, all it was an older, it was a lady who was born a while ago, you know? And all this is going down on Winston's journal. And then he's just like, this isn't all right. And then he stops writing. And he's like, this is not even helpful. Now I have more shit in my head. I had a couple of problems. And now I just, I feel like I tore them up. And now it's like a, I got so many ribbon dancers of problems. It used to just be one flag of problem. And now I've torn it up. And it's so many, I can't deal with this, right? So the journaling doesn't go great. Therapy hasn't worked. He just made more problems for himself. But he gave it a whack, you know? All right. So chapter seven. We start to talk about the proles a little bit. Now, people say that if there is any hope for the society, for any sort of change, or for people to become autonomous in their thought, be able to live their lives on their own, all hope lies with the proles. Now, as we've kind of covered, that doesn't look great because the proles kind of suck. And I'm not saying anything about, I would be a prole if I was, if this book was real. Again, I would be a prole, but if you're counting on them for the revolution, again, they get, booze is so cheap. Well, they're ha all the time. Who is going to not get in an argument? There's not a whole lot of money. Uh, we learned there's $2 prostitutes hanging out. That's not going to help you concentrate if you're trying to unionize or do anything like that. Proles, only hope, very little hope. Also, at this point in time, Winster's ulcer begins itching. Like the, uh, the, the thing on the side of his ankle, that like spidey sense of like, I got to do something bad, dude. I'm kind of freaking out. I got to go do something bad. Again, he, the kids lit somebody on fire. He had a bad journaling experience. He's still dealing with that with that dream, his quads probably hurt, doing air squats, being like, I'm going to fucking, I cannot wait to not talk to that girl at work, but I will probably see her again. So his, his ankle's throbbing, he's got to go do something. At this point in time, oh, and this is important. So he thinks back, he's at his job, and he's, he's doing his like rewriting history shit, and it comes to these three dudes, right? Their names are Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford. Now, he didn't know these guys, but these were inner party members. And so the way that I see that is that like if these dudes were like three Tom Sizemores and then you're at your job and your job is to like rewrite history. And they said that Tom Sizemore did espionage and that's like the these fictional Tom Sizemores all got accused of espionage and then they were taken to the Ministry of Love and disappeared. And then it was all a big press thing of like these three Tom Sizemores sold... They sold information to Eurasia, they're traitors, da da da. It's like a big reprogramming thing that Winston remembers. He was alive for it, right? So he comes upon a picture of these three Tom Sizemores during the period of time when the government said that they were actually physically in Eurasia doing their espionage. And the date is when Winston remembers it. Like, this is when this is when they said the government said that this is when they'd be in Eurasia. But I got this picture down here, these three dudes. They're here now. And this is the one of the first times that Winston's like, damn. All right, well, I think I am getting lied to. I didn't know if I was paranoid or not. I think I'm definitely getting lied to. I think that O'Brien dude might believe me on this. 
But these three Tom Sizemore's are supposed to be in Eurasia, and I, I remember this, dude. I am definitely getting lied to anyway. So he does his job, but he's still like, this is, this is a problem. So our main character is a little overwhelmed at this point in time, and he says one of those hot topic lines out loud to himself. He's like, I understand how, but I do not understand why. So he's, he's a little stacked up, you know? He needs to get some fresh air. So he decides, take a little stroll on down to the prole area. You know, look, did it go great last time? I don't know. You don't have to get another $2 lady of the night if you don't want to, but you can go ahead and take a walk down there, right? So Winston leaves his place and he goes down to the prole area. It's not great. It's, it sucks. If you ever think about like, have you ever driven through a place where you're like, I can't believe people die here, huh? Wow, this place is depressing. That's, that's pretty much the whole prole area. And Winston's going for a stroll. Now in the prole area, every now and then, things will blow up. A bomb drops and things, the people don't really know who's dropping that bomb, what's going on. They call them steamers. That's just part of living there. The proles are like, I don't know what to do. But it did. It has desensitized the population to, to violence. And it, in, during Winston's walk, at one point in time, he's walking by like a sewer grate and there's a human hand, like just a stump of a human hand in the street. And Winston just go ahead and he just Pele soccer kicks that into the, like the it clown's face <laughs> in the sewer grate. And he's like, I don't fucking care, whatever. I'm out on a walk, dude. I got to tell you about this dream I had, right? So he's clearing his head. Kicks a hand to a sewer. You know, hope you don't get blown up. We're doing what we're doing. So he goes, and we also hit on the concept of the lottery. The lottery is huge in Oceana. All the proles love the lottery, which I get, I get it. I have played, I have had at least one time in my life where I bought a lottery ticket and it was my only plan. Dude, that's embarrassing. But like, you ever do that where you're like, yo, I am, whew, this is, this has got to work, dude. <laughs> and I, so when they hit on the lottery, I was like, yes, dude, I understand that. I understand it. I'm not judge you for it. Yeah. I, I don't play the lottery uh, at all, but just a couple of times in my life where, which made those couple of times in my life even more stand out while it was happening of being like, yo, why are you, dude? Yo, this is, is this really your only pant? This is it? Anyway, so Winston runs by that, doesn't play. Uh, and then he runs into an old proletarian man. Oh, prole is short for proletariat. Uh, he runs into an old prole man. And Winston's he's only 39, so he's like, hey, what was it like before the revolution? Can you tell me? I'm trying, I'm out here trying to clear my head. Can you tell me? Like, you're you're so old, man. And I can't believe you're still alive. Can you you look worse than me too? Can you just tell me what was this like beforehand? And this old dude's just like, they all wore top hats. <laughs> like this guy making jibber jabbers. He's talking like a riddler, dude. He's like, top hats were the fashion. That's all Winston gets at him. He's like, I hate this shit. This old man sucks. I I hate this old man. Fucking walks away disgusted. He's like, God, top hats. I had a real question for you. So he ends up in an antique store. And this is the same antique store where he bought the journal and the, the pen that he used to map out that terrible prostitute experience. Look, the journal and pen weren't the problem. It's just the, the ex execution of journaling went poorly. This is the place where he got the journal and pen, which is a fond memory. Winston kind of has a, a fondness for things that are prior to the revolution. So he's in this antique store. And he's like, hey, what's up? I'm the... I'm a you know, journal guy. What else you got? And so he meets this dude named Mr. Charrington. He was the guy who owns the antique store. And he's like, how are you? Well, it was actually like his wife's antique store. This is what he talks to Winston about. He's like, how are you? How you been? What's going on? I don't get many visitors. And Winston's like, yeah, I'm just like looking at some stuff. And then he finds a piece of coral in a paperweight. It's a clear paperweight with just a piece of like orange pink coral in it. And he's like, what is this? What is this, dude? And Mr. Mr. Charrington is like, uh, 
it's Coral. It was my wife's. My wife's dead. It was my wife's. Like, Mr. Charlton like, is oversharing a little bit. Although, maybe I read it wrong. But Mr. Charlton, he, he pulls the trigger on, like, my wife's dead. She used to live upstairs. That was her paperweight. You want that paperweight? Also, real quick, you want to live upstairs? My wife's dead. Did I say that yet? That's her favorite thing. I'm going to sell it to you. you seriously, you want to come look at this room upstairs, though? I'm pretty lonely out here. That's how the antique store goes down. So Winston goes up to this extra room where this guy's dead wife used to live. And Mr. Charrington's like, yeah, it's a great paperweight. You want to live here? Well, just check out the bed. <laughs> and so Winston looks at the bed and it is a double bed, which doesn't exist. Winston's like, damn, that is a nice, that's a pretty big bed. Dude. That's fucking nice. But there's visible bugs all over the bed. And I mean, Winston doesn't say this, but like, that's a little fast to meet a guy and then become his roommate. I don't know. And all of a sudden he's offering you a room because you want to buy his wife's like favorite thing and he's just a little too i don't blame winston for turning that down also like visible bugs too much winston used to live in a shithole but visit that's not worth it that's a double bed so winston's like all right i've had enough of this mr charlton wish you luck i'm not gonna come back until you hopefully forget this because this was weird dude and i like this place so winston rolls and on the way out of the proletariat area back to his place he sees sweet babe oh she's out on the street what's she doing she is out working for the anti-sex league, just kind of looking around, doing whatever. She's in the proletariat area too. How did this happen? Now, Winston sees this and he's got coral in his pocket. He's like, maybe I give this girl this coral. What's going on here? They don't talk, but they make eye contact. And then Winston's like, all right, I got to head out and just get, he got the coral and make eye contact with her and you get out of there. Right. But that's where, and that's the end of part one. That's setting the story. Of, of what's at play here, where's Winston live at, who is Winston, I don't really think we're going to hit the antique deal, that was pretty sad, that guy's wife's dead, he was so excited to be like, bye, bye, please leave, please, please, please move in, that was, that made me sad at the end, but that's the end of part one, so Winston had the dream about Sweet Babe, then he saw her at the end of the walk where he had some coral, and he's like, I don't know, also, he gets paranoid at that too, he is hyped to see her, because he did have that pretty great dream about her, and like, I don't know what's going on, you know? Maybe. Who knows? We work together. I don't know. Could it be weird? I'm not sure. But he, he gets paranoid because he's like, damn, dude, it's a thought police. Somebody heard me. Somebody read my journal. There's no reason she should be here right now. It, it's like a freaky uh, serendipitous thing that like he just kind of goes home and he's like, ah, fuck me off. I got to go back to my shitty apartment and do some more pull-ups, dude. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. So he flexes the whole walk home just in case he sees her again. And that's the end of part one. That is uh, the part one of 1984. George Orwell's 1984. Just the story of it. Um, we'll do part two later this week and then part three after that. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll see you.